Our Old Testament reading this evening is Genesis chapters 7 and 8. Genesis 7 and 8. Let's give our full attention now to God's holy word. Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. You shall take with you seven, each of every clean animal, a male and his female, two each of animals that are unclean, a male and his female. Also seven each of birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of all the earth. For after seven more days, I will cause it to rain on the earth forty days and forty nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. And Noah did, according to all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the floodwaters were on the earth. So Noah, with his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives, went into the ark because of the waters of the flood, of clean animals, of animals that are unclean, of birds, and of everything that creeps on the earth two by two. They went into the ark to Noah, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the seventeenth day of the month. On that day, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. And the rain was on the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah and Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast after its kind, all cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, every bird of every sort. And they went into the ark to Noah, two by two, of all flesh in which is the breath of life. So those that entered, male and female of all the flesh, went in as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. Now the flood was on the earth forty days. The waters increased and lifted up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth, and the ark moved about on the surface of the waters. And the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth, and all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed fifteen cubits upward, and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds and cattle and beasts and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and every Man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, all that was on the dry land, died. So he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing and bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped and the rain from heaven was restrained and the waters receded continually from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the waters decreased. Then the ark rested in the seventh month, the 17th day of the month, on the mountains of Ararat. 
And the waters decreased continually until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. So it came to pass at the end of forty days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. Then he sent out a raven which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. He also sent out from himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot, and she returned into the ark to him, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and drew her into the ark to himself. And he waited yet another seven days, and again he sent the dove out from the ark. Then the dove came to him in the evening, and behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth. And no one knew that the waters had receded from the earth. So he waited yet another seven days and sent out the dove, which did not return again to him any more. And it came to pass in the six hundred and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, that the waters were dried up from the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and indeed the surface of the ground was dry. And in the second month, on the twenty-seventh day of the month, the earth was dried. Then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark. You and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every animal, every creeping thing, every bird, and whatever creeps on the earth, according to their families, went out of the ark. And then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled the soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains... Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. And our New Testament reading is Second Peter chapter two, verses four through nine. Second Peter two, four through nine. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Thanks be to God for his holy word. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would make us to know your paths, teach us your ways, lead us in your truth and teach us. For you are the God of our salvation and for you we wait all the day long. 
We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been in a situation where you asked yourself, does the Lord really know what He's doing? Perhaps you're in a situation like that now. Does God really know what He's doing here? Um, Is He paying attention to what I'm going through? Does He know what He's doing in this situation? The circumstances of our life can feel painful. They can feel exhausting. We wonder how God, if He is so wise and so powerful, would allow this to happen. We can feel that in our own lives. We can also read it in the headlines, right? We can read what's happening in, in the world around us and say, does God, is He sovereign over this? Does He know what He's doing in this situation, this war, this natural disaster, this conflict? The same thing, right? I think sometimes we look at the state of the church and say the same thing. Does God really know what He's doing with Limington OPC? Does God really know what He's doing with our denomination or with, with the evangelical church right, more broadly in our country? Does, does God really know how to take care of His church? Does He really know how to take care of me? As Peter is writing this letter, Second Peter here, he, I think, is aware that some of the people he's writing to are asking this question. Does God know how to take care of us? Right, they're facing false teaching infiltrating the church. People teaching things that aren't the true gospel of Jesus Christ. They're facing uh, slander. They're, they're facing social pressures for being Christians. And they're facing being uh, uh, um, persecuted for their faith. And so Peter is writing to encourage them. Yes, the Lord does know. He does know what He's doing. He does know how to take care of you. He does know how to preserve you. And Peter, Peter answers the question here by saying, well, go look at the old stories. Go look back in Genesis. Look at the stories there. He points out two stories in particular. He says, look at the story of Noah in the flood. Look at the story of Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. In both cases, you had these men, these righteous men, who were the only righteous men in their context, right? Noah is the only righteous man in the whole earth. Lot is the only righteous man in Sodom and Gomorrah. And they're surrounded by wickedness. And they're both standing in the path of a kind of um, breaking in of God's end time judgment on their uh, city or their world. And God is, God is saying to, uh, I mean, Peter is saying to the, to the church that he's writing to, he's saying, if God knew how to rescue Noah, and if he knew how to rescue Lot, surely he knows how to rescue you. The God who did that, right? Noah, Lot, he can do the same for you. In fact, He will do the same for you. He's promised to do the same for you. He says, God knows how to rescue the godly. He knows how to rescue you from the sinful world around you. And He knows how to rescue you from the judgment that is coming on that sinful world. And that is, that is I think, the central message of Genesis 7 and 8. Um, that Peter's picking up on, picking up on there, that the Lord knows how to rescue, how to save those who are His. He knows how to save them from the sinful world that's pressing in around them and trying to overwhelm them, and He knows how to save them from His own judgment that He's bringing on that sinful world. So this is this is what the text, I believe, is calling us to do: to believe that God is able to rescue us, that He does know what He's doing with us. Right, to, to fix our hearts on that truth, indisputable truth, that He knows what He's doing and He knows how to rescue us, even when the floodwaters seem to be rising up all around.
two, uh, excuse me, three headings as we work through chapter 7 and chapter 8. We're actually only going to go through verse 19, by the way, of chapter 8. I was originally going to go through the whole chapter, but that section really goes with chapter 9, I think. So we're going to do uh, just through verse 19 of chapter 8. So three headings tonight. The first one is this. The Lord provides the way of salvation. The Lord provides the way of salvation. So we looked at Genesis 6 last Lord's Day evening, and it shows there how bad things have gotten, man's depravity, man's sinfulness, how far sin has spread and how deeply rooted sin has become to the point where Noah is literally the only righteous man left in the whole world. Noah and perhaps his family with him. Um, and so God says that he's going to bring judgment on the earth. That's, that's in chapter 6. Uh, but this judgment, right, he's not just going to wipe things out. He's going to preserve Noah. He's going to save Noah. And he's going to start a, a new creation of a sense uh, uh, through Noah and uh, uh, for Noah's sake. He's preserving the line of uh, promise uh, for, for Noah. And he instructs him at the end of the chapter to build an ark that he and his family and uh, two of each kind of animal can go into. And at the end of chapter 6, it tells us Noah obeys, does everything exactly as God commands him to. That's chapter 6. So we'll be moving into chapter 7, when the ark is complete, and it's, the time is up. The day of judgment is here. God tells Noah to board the ark because the flood is coming in seven days. So Noah takes, right, he gets everything ready. Uh, God brings the animals to him. And then the seventh day, they all get on the ark. Uh, verse 11 gives us a very detailed timestamp for this. It says, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened. Uh, just, as, just as a brief aside here on that in particular, that's not how you write about a legend or, or myth. Um, the Genesis account of the flood, like the creation account, is one of those accounts that people, people like to challenge based on right, uh, conventional uh, scientific ideas. That there's no way that could have happened. There's, there's no way you could have had a flood that covered the whole world. There's no way you could have fit all those animals on that ark. Um, those sorts of things. Uh, those are questions to wrestle with and to think through, but, but this is clearly, right, the Genesis account is not presented to us as myth. It's written as history with detailed, concrete, uh, 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 the, the concrete details of history in there, uh, including this, um, the, all these references to the exact, the precise time when God worked. Uh, we also see the New Testament views the flood as a historical fact, not just a legendary story. Um, so what do we do? Well, we rest on the Word of God. We, who, God is truth itself. And so His Word is true. It cannot err. And so that is always where our faith rests, and that is the foundation that uh, uh, does not move. But we're not gonna, really going to get into more questions of that debate um, because the concern of the text is not that. The concern of the passage here is, as we said, to show how the Lord preserves those who are His. So, just getting back to the text, verse, verse 16, moving into verse 16. As everyone's on the ark now, um, the animals are on, Noah's on, the heavens are open, the floodwaters pour down. And then we get this note here that God himself shuts the door. Verse 16 says, the Lord shut him in. 
I want to draw out three observations specifically from this verse here about how the Lord is providing salvation for Noah and through Noah here. The first thing is this, that in Noah, God is providing salvation for a new creation. We see a lot of commands in this section, this whole section we just read, about animals. Right? There's all kinds of animals listed out, and they're listed over and over and over. It's, it's quite uh, repetitive to us, right? And it's making the point that God is not scrapping his plan to have a creation filled with a wide variety of creatures that he's made. That God, right, he delights in variety. And he delights in his own creativity. And he made all these creatures, all these animals. They don't have eternal souls, but he loves them. He cares for them, and he wants a creation to continue. He made the creation very good in the beginning, and he's not allowed, about to let sin ruin it. So he has Noah bring all these animals on to the ark with him. He delights to uh, care for the animals as well. Um, every single kind. He wants every, every kind of animal preserved. It reminds me of the closing words of the book of Jonah, where God says to Jonah, Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? That the Lord would care for the very cattle of Nineveh. And we see that same care here. Through Noah, God is bringing about a new creation uh, full of an abundance of life, um, life of every kind. It's pointing forward for us, right? It's pointing forward. It's not just about Noah and the new creation that God works through Noah, but it's really pointing us forward to Jesus Christ, isn't it? Noah's a type of Christ here, because Jesus, of course, is the one who's going to bring about the real new creation. Noah's a type of that. There's a, there's a picture here of, of a new creation through Noah, uh, through the flood. But, but the reality is that it's Christ himself who is going to restore. First, right through him, judgment that destroys the world, but then remade into a new heavens and new earth, teeming with life of every kind, displaying God's creative power. It will be um, an endlessly fascinating uh, thing to see the, the great variety of life that God preserves in the new heavens and new earth um, for Christ's sake. So God is, God is bringing about this new creation. And we see a picture of that here in Noah. The second thing here is that in Noah, God is providing salvation for Noah's family. Now, it's interesting to me that in the text, it is Noah's righteousness that is mentioned over and over. Uh, not his families. Um, I don't want to uh, make a big assumption from that, that they weren't righteous. But the, the, the text says over and over, it emphasizes again and again, that it's Noah's righteousness, that it's, it's God is doing these, uh, God is commanding Noah these things, and over and over, Noah is the one who's obeying. Chapter 6 ends with this, all that God commanded him, so he did. Uh, chapter 7, verse 5, Noah did according to all that God commanded him. And God, again, is highlighting Noah's righteousness in verse 1. You are righteous before me in this generation. Noah's family is saved because of Noah's righteousness, in a sense. I'm not saying Noah was perfect. He's a sinner. Uh, but there's, a, there's, again, another picture here, another type pointing us forward to Jesus Christ, isn't there? That the Lord uses one righteous representative. And if you're in that one, if you're with that one, 
that's where you find salvation. Right? If, if, if you go with Noah, if the most sinful man of Noah's day came to him and said, I'm going to come with you on the ark. Right? I'm going to repent of my sin and come in the ark. He would have been saved. Right? And it's the same with Jesus Christ. Uh, he is the truly righteous one. The one who is without sin. And if any runs to him and puts their trust in him, we will be saved. So the Lord provides salvation through a righteous representative. A third thing here we see is that God provides salvation for Noah um, out of his covenant of grace with him. Back in chapter 6, God makes a covenant with Noah. He makes a promise to him. It's a promise that he's going to preserve him, that he'll rescue him, that he'll keep him. And um, it's a very personal promise, right? It's the Lord promising that he himself is going to care for Noah himself. And we see it here, especially again in verse, in verse 16. After everyone has gotten into the ark, the verse tells us that the Lord shut him in. Right? And there are two things here that highlight the Lord's personal covenantal care for Noah. First of all, we don't get the name here of God, but it's the Lord. Um, most of the time, it seems like in the context here, elsewhere we're seeing God referred to as God. But here we get the Lord's covenantal name, Yahweh. The Lord is the one who shuts him in. And it says that um, it makes an emphasis here on how the Lord shuts Noah in. Verse 16 begins by saying that there's all these creatures on the ark, right? All male and female of all flesh enter the ark. But then it says, and the Lord shut him in. We would expect it to say, and then the Lord shut them in. But it says him it just shows, it just highlights God's care, his care for Noah, his, his love for Noah, that, that on the brink of this huge scale, right, of the Lord destroying the whole earth in judgment, he comes down to Noah, one man, and cares for him. And he himself makes sure that the door is shut. He himself makes sure that everything is set and ready and that Noah will be saved. And... This is just a reminder to us, right, of how the Lord treats every one of his children. That it's this kind of care, this kind of uh, covenantal care where he's bound himself to us in love. Um, that, that, that if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, he's going to treat us this same way. That he's not going to overlook a single detail that we need. He's not going to uh, forget a single thing that we need. Right? This should be a great reassurance to us in trials. The Lord has a personal covenantal commitment to me. And he'll care for me in every detail. This is also a reassurance for us thinking about thinking about um, uh, right, just the, the, the daily, uh, uh, the daily uh, providence that, that comes our way, that, that every day when we wake up in the morning, the Lord is caring for us. When we go to bed at night, He puts us in bed, as it were, and He's caring for us and watching over us all night long. That He is our Lord who's committed Himself to care for us with that level of detail. And that even as we face final judgment, right, we see Noah facing this picture of final judgment. The Lord is there, caring for him, seeing him through. And that's how the Lord cares for all of us. So the Lord provides salvation. That's our first heading. The second heading is this. The Lord brings judgment. 
So uh, we've seen this close-up, right? We've been zoomed in on Noah, the ark, all these animals going in two by two, the Lord shutting the door. But now we get zoomed way out. God's judgment comes into view. And um, in this next section of the text, we see that the Lord is, is uh, bringing judgment on the whole earth. And we're kind of, we're at a 30,000 foot view, or maybe even, maybe even higher. Um, I was seeing this, this massive destruction that's happening. Uh, we, we're told it rains for 40 days. That, um, uh, that this isn't any ordinary rain. This is something, uh, right? This is not, not you know, the, the, the biggest storm we could imagine. This is so much bigger than that. This is 40 days of, it says, the windows of heaven being opened and um, the great fountains of the deep being unleashed. Uh, something supernatural is happening in this. Uh, we read that the waters prevailed upon the earth. It says this over and over. It's a refrain in this section. Verse 17, the waters increased and lifted up the ark high above the earth. Verse 18, the waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth. Verse 19, and the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth. Verse 20, the waters prevailed 15 cubits upward and the mountains were covered. It's like the author here, Moses, is trying to almost uh, reflect in the language he's using, the sentences he's using, the rising waves, as he puts sentence upon sentence upon sentence of how the waters are rising and prevailing on the earth, showing us that, uh, uh, that uh, this is an inevitable flood until the mountains themselves are completely submerged. What's going on here is an act of uncreation. Think back to Genesis chapter 1, right? On days 2 and 3, how does God create the earth? Well, he separates the waters from the waters, right? He creates the sky, he creates the atmosphere, the clouds, perhaps some think a, a canopy of water in the pre-flood world. Um, right, he separates it, and then on, on day 3, he separates the waters from the dry land. But now in the flood... He's reversing that, right? The waters are coming down again and the, the, the oceans are covering the earth again. This is God um, uh, reversing that work of creation and destroying the earth through judgment for sin. The result is, of course, death. Um, this would be the natural conclusion we could draw, but the author, Moses here, under the inspiration of the Spirit, is relentless in pointing this out. Even as he was relentless in telling us about the water increasing on the earth, then he goes on in verses 21 to 23, and he's relentless in describing the death that swept across the earth. He says, All flesh died that moved on the earth, birds and cattle and beasts and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the Spirit of life. All that was on the dry land died. So he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground. They were destroyed from the earth. Just piles on the, 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 the language there describing God's judgment. And then the chapter closes, verse 24, by reminding us that the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. So now at this point, we've zoomed way out and we can kind of see the whole world. It's all wrapped in water, uh, covered in water, no sign of life. God's judgment is complete and uh, his wrath has been poured out and everything and everyone has died. It's a terrifying picture. Um, it reminds us, this is how God treats sin. This is how seriously God takes sin. This is what every sin deserves. And it shows us that... Um, 
God knows how to rescue the godly and how to punish the wicked too. This is Peter's point again in Second Peter two nine as he reflects on the flood here and applies it to the church that he's writing to. He says there, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly and to keep the righteous under punishment until the day of judgment. But he's showing, God is showing here that, that he knows how to punish the wicked, that he knows how to bring justice in his time and in his way. And this would have been a comfort for Noah, right, as he faced persecution, waiting for, uh, waiting for the flood to come, knowing that, that God would rescue him from the mockery and from the injustice that he suffered um, through the flood. Uh, it's a comfort that Peter is holding out to the church there that he's writing to as well. Wait patiently. Trust the Lord, he's telling them. The Lord knows how to rescue you from those who are oppressing and persecuting you. This would have been a wonderful comfort to the early church in the persecution they faced. This would be a comfort to to those, all all Christians who face persecution. For most of us, this probably isn't the kind of comfort we feel like we need quite as strongly because uh, the church has been so comfortable here in our culture for so long. But increasingly, I think that'll be changing that uh, seems to be. And, and if we're going to continue to be faithful Christians, faithful to God's Word, faithful to the, uh, the, the morality that God's Word calls us to, we're going to increasingly find ourselves uh, outside the pale of what our culture finds acceptable. And we'll need to rest more and more in the fact that God is the one who will bring justice in His time and in His way. And then the third heading. The Lord keeps covenant. Chapter 8, 1 through 19. So in the midst of all this judgment, kind of from an outer space view, seeing the, the world flooded right from that, that distant view, Noah kind of gets lost for a little while in it all. We don't see him much there. Um, we might start to wonder, has God forgotten Noah? Has God forgotten the ark and those in the ark? But then chapter 8, verse 1 says no. God remembers. It says this, Then the Lord remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. Did God forget Noah? Is that what the text is saying? That now he remembers? Of course not. Um, It's saying that God was always thinking of Noah. He remembered Noah the whole time. Even as he was pouring out his wrath on this sinful world, he was still remembering Noah, caring for Noah, never forgot his promise, his covenant to Noah, and now he's acting to save him, uh, to bring him out of the flood. He tests Noah's faith as he does this, doesn't he? Um, The rains fall for 40 days and 40 nights, but Noah doesn't get out of the ark uh, that quickly. Um, He's in there for over a year. Uh, It's a long process, a long time of waiting. Um, uh, he has to, to send out these birds and, and wait for them to return and then wait another week and then send them out again and see when is it going to be ready? When is the earth going to finally be dry? And he waits and he waits and he waits on the Lord. And then finally, the Lord says, now it's time. But Noah shows us here in this example of faith that um, he knows God's commitment to his covenant, that the Lord will keep the promise he made to him, uh, that the Lord will continue his promise to him, his faithfulness to him. I'm sure some of you can sympathize with Noah in that sense, that the Lord brings you into a trial and then he keeps you there, and he keeps you there for a long time, and he, and he teaches you to submit to his providence, not just for 
a brief storm, but for the long haul. That he teaches you to wait patiently, wait for his, wait for his timing, wait for his, wait, wait for his deliverance in his way. Um, in a sense, it's it's all of it's all of our lives that are under this, right? That that we're waiting on the Lord for all of our lives until He saves us uh, finally and fully uh, uh, when Christ returns. So finally, at the end of this year and more of uh, waiting, God brings Noah and his family and all the animals out of the ark and into this new creation, this world which has been destroyed and now cleansed and is now growing again, right? There's uh, life again in the world. We see the dove brings back this olive branch that the, the things are growing again. God is providing for them again. And we see that uh, uh, God tells in particular that uh, Noah and his uh, sons and his sons' wives are all coming out of the ark in verse 16. And God is saying there, I think, that he's, his commitment to continue this line of promise is standing, right? He's brought safely through the ark, the seed of promise, and he's going to continue to be faithful. Um, and then, finally, uh, they're all coming out of the ark and they come out into the new creation. And again, the point here that... Uh, that we need to take away is this. We've seen it over and over through the account already, but it's that God knows how to rescue those who are His. He knows how to rescue those who belong to Him and those who trust in Him. Remember back in Genesis chapter 5, uh, Noah's father names him Noah because he believed God would use him to bring rest, to bring salvation to uh, this sinful world. And through his faithfulness, God's faithfulness, God has done just that. He's begun this new creation through Noah. He's brought the covenant family into a place of rest and peace, no longer oppressed by a sinful world around them, uh, uh, safe from the uh, threat of God's judgment. We know it's not going to last, right? This is just a picture of the one that's coming. Uh, but but, but it's a, it, is a, it is a sweet picture nonetheless. And it's pointing us forward to what Jesus our Savior will do. Uh, he is the one who will bring us safely through the final judgment into the new creation uh, where sin and where suffering can't reach anymore. We started out with a question, um, does God really know how to take care of His church? Does God really know how to take care of me? How to take care of His people? What do we do when we are asking that question? When the doubts come up, um, Lord, are, do you really know what you're doing with my life and with the church's life? Well, think of Noah. Right? Think back. Think to God's faithfulness, right? Did God preserve him and bring him through this? Yes. God can remember me as well. God will remember me. Surely, if he preserved Noah and he preserved his church through the flood, he'll also preserve me and deliver me, no matter how bleak the circumstances might look around us. So look to Noah, but also, more importantly, look to Jesus Christ, right? Because it's Christ who is, who is the great evidence of God's remembering us and of God's faithfulness to us. That God has not forgotten us. He's remembered us once for all by sending Jesus Christ, right? The one who brings us through judgment and brings us salvation. And that no matter what we're going through, no matter how challenging, how, how difficult, or how bleak it might look, the fact that Jesus Christ came died for us to bring us into that new heavens and new earth. That fact doesn't change. We rest there. We rest in God's commitment to us there and His care for us 
there. We rest knowing that the fires and the waters of judgment cannot reach me when I'm in Christ. God knows how to rescue those who are in Christ. God knows what He's doing with us. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for Your commitment, Your your covenant faithfulness, and Your wisdom in caring for us. Father, we thank You for our Lord Jesus Christ, the refuge of our souls. We pray that we would run to Him and find refuge in every trial. Lord, help us not to doubt that You are wise and good in Your every providence, that You know how to save us. But help us to continue to run, run to You and find grace and keep our confidence firm to the end. We ask it for Jesus' dear sake. Amen.